Well, as I said earlier, we're going to uh, read the Bible together. We're, we're going to start into 1 Corinthians today. We looked at the setting of it last time, and this morning John's going to uh, open up the, the beginning of the book for us. So we're going to read that now. Uh, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the first 17 verses. It's page 1144 of the Pew Bibles, if you're using a Pew Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, first of two letters to this church just close to Athens. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, page 1144. And we read God's word together, verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you may agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I'm thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized into my name. Oh, yes, I also baptized the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us his word to us today. Well, please do turn with me to... 1 Corinthians this morning, as we open up our series and as we begin our series in the letter of 1 Corinthians, and we'll be here for a little while, so it'll be good to make ourselves familiar with uh, this passage and with uh, the whole book. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and as we begin to look at this this morning, what I want us to think about is culture. So in Northern Ireland, and in Ireland, we're really good at culture, right? We, we understand culture. We can identify all our people's cultures really quickly. But this morning, as we start to think about culture, what I want us to think about is the culture here of Hill Street. What is the culture here of our church? 
of our church family. So if I was to give you a little piece of paper this morning, and you're able to write down a few words on it, what would you say about the culture of Hill Street? And then if you were to think about the culture of Hill Street, and you were to parallel that with the culture that Paul talks about here in 1 Corinthians, and especially in 1 Corinthians 1, and one through, uh, from verse 1 through to 10 to begin with, I wonder if the two would start to match up. What would we be like in, compared, in comparison to what Paul lays out for this church? So the question for us this morning is, what does gospel culture look like? What does it look like for our lives to follow Jesus Christ with all of our lives, with all of our being, to worship Him, to follow Him, to love Him? What does that look like for us? So as we think about this passage this morning, I want us to think about how can we live in and how can we live through the gospel? How can we live in and how can we live lives through the gospel? And to help us think about it, I was... uh, trying to think of an illustration that would help us to think of this. I'm thinking about the young person that goes off to university. So the young person who leaves home for the first time goes off to university, and there's a massive cultural shock to them as they start to settle in life away from home. They have to discover many new items. They have to discover the washing machine for the first time, and a sink, and an iron, and maybe an ironing board, or a kitchen table can often come in useful if you don't have one of them. A furry liquid and a mop, you start to have to look after yourself, and it's a steep learning curve for many. And alongside all the domestic side of things, cleaning, you also have to learn how to cook, and you have to operate a microwave, and perhaps for some that's a really dangerous activity. Uh, I know of one person who thought that it would be a good idea to put his rugby boots into the microwave because they were damp, right? That is not a good idea, okay? So you have to learn to do lots of different things. You have to discover pots and pans. You have to discover a place called Tesco, and you have to discover where the local kebab shop is and how great cereal is for keeping you alive whenever you go to university, right? So the young student has a lot to learn. There's much that they need to learn if they wish to survive. So with some encouragement from the parents of the young person, and maybe with some practical demonstrations, change comes. So the young student has to learn or die. They have to learn or die. And in this first letter to the church at Corinth, Paul is writing to encourage the church here to learn or to relearn some of the things about the Christian faith, or they will die on the road of discipleship. And he's writing to them so that they will have this cultural change, that they'll understand who they are. Now, now Paul had planted this church. It had taken him about 18 months to plant it. And now he's away from from Corinth, and he's writing back into the situation because he's, he's afraid. Things have started to change. We can see it here in in verses 10 through to 17, that the people are starting to follow men instead of following Christ. They're starting to follow different fractions, and and there's factions that are forming here in the church, and there's division coming, and Paul sees the great potential for harm, and he starts to write back into this to remind them of who they are, to remind them of their identity, to remind them that whenever they are in Christ, that that means that they are a transformed person. Now, as we 
break into 1 Corinthians, there is a a big thing going on throughout it, a a meta-narrative that Paul uses, and constantly we're going to see this. You will see that Paul is encouraging the church to live in the Spirit, but that comes with a a battle against the flesh. And this is going to pop up again and again and again. So this morning we're going to see it popping up in church division, and later on in, in this letter we'll see it popping up in sexuality and idolatry, but there's this huge battle going on. And it hasn't changed for us between spirit and the flesh. What does it mean to live in the spirit? What does it mean to live in the flesh? What does it mean to die to self and to live to Christ? So that's what's going on in the background of all of this. So it'll pop up time and time again, and this morning it's going to be division. So what's the context again? Just to briefly get us up to speed with what's going on in Corinth. About 200,000 people in this city, roughly the same size as Belfast. It's a huge center for trade. There's lots of money in this place. There's lots of different nationalities. It's a, it's a, it's a buzzing city. It's a vibrant city. But with all of this vibrance and money and with all of the different nationalities coming into one place and with it being a huge port, people coming and going, there's lots and lots of immorality. So, the verb to Corinthianize meant in this day to go to the devil. If you were Corinthianized, you were going to live or to be part of the devil and of his ways. So, although the citizens of this city thought that they were sophisticated and progressive thinkers, I wonder does that ring any bells with our society? Sophisticated, progressive thinkers, far advanced beyond the simple folk who lived in the country away from this glow of the city, all of these nations gathered and they lived in a hotbed of immorality. There was twisted uh, philosophies. There were liberated views, or at least they thought liberated views. And in the midst of all of this, Paul sees and identifies that the church is in a really dangerous place. This is dangerous for these young children, these little babes in Christ. This is a dangerous place. They can be easily led astray. And he writes back into it. And what does he write to us? I write to this church and then to us here as believers. He he writes about the beauty of the gospel. So if you have a chance this this afternoon or this evening, uh, later on or this week, to to read something again of Scripture, read 1 Corinthians 1 and 1 through 10. Because this is where Paul starts to pluck up and identify the the benefits that we have in Jesus Christ. And he's really posing the the, the church here a question. Will you live for the gospel or will you live for yourself? Because the gospel changes people. It transforms people. It brings hope and it brings life. And we can see that in verse 1. So Sothenes, Nigel mentioned him last week, Acts 18, the last time we hear of him, he's got a beating. He was the leader of the synagogue. Well, look at the change here in his life. Paul, verse 1, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sothenes. He's been converted. This guy has been saved by God's grace. Paul does not make a mistake by mentioning his name right here at the beginning. He's saying, look, the gospel transforms lives. It changes people. So his challenge here is will the people in this city count the cost for following Christ, will they live the way of the cross, or will they deem it too much and follow men? Will they follow fancy ideas? Will they follow the wisdom of men, which Nigel or 
And Nigel next week, Nigel will pick up a little bit on that. Well, that's where we're going in First Corinthians, the next section about the wisdom of men or the wisdom of God. So here, this church in Corinth, it's imperfect. There are difficulties in it. But Paul is writing to tell them about the perfect Savior. And the way we're going to work through this in the time that we've left is simply this. I want us to, there's many things in this passage that we could see. Many, many things. But I want us to have a couple of little uh, signposts, a couple of little blocks to build on. And the points are these. You are united to Christ. You are called by the Father. And you're challenged to be holy. So we are united to Christ. We are called by the Father. And we are challenged to be holy. Paul often talks about being united to Christ. And we can see it. It's all the way through our passage. We can see it this morning. Look at verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth. To those in Christ. And then in verse 4. In Christ Jesus. Verse 5. You are in him. And verse 9, you've been called into fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. What's going on with union to Christ? This is a doctrine, union to Christ. And it means if we're a believer here this morning, that we are united to him. Now, we thought about it, and maybe you were here at the evening service. We thought about it in terms of a Tupperware box. That was one way to describe it. We are inside Christ. But this is another way. I want you to imagine two massive giants of men. And perhaps you've heard this before. But two giants of men. And one's called Adam. And on Adam is millions and millions of little hooks. And on these millions and millions of little hooks are each one of us, each and every human. So there's enough hooks for all of humanity on Adam. And what happens is Adam stands in the garden and then he falls into sin. So as Adam falls, we fall with him. We are united to him. We are on one of these hooks. So we fall with Adam, united to Adam, into sin. But then there's another man, the second Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ, and on him are millions and millions and millions of little hooks. And what happens whenever we trust in Jesus is instead of falling with Adam, we are transferred from one of his little hooks and we are put on to Jesus Christ. So as Jesus rises victorious from the grave, we are united to him. Nothing can change that. So as a church, Paul is trying to help these people to see this, that you are in Christ, that you will be with him. Why does he do that? What does that mean for us? And it strips us of our pride this morning. If we are united to Christ, if we see ourselves in him, then it's nothing to do about us. If, if this church culture sees ourselves in Christ and not in ourselves, then it changes how this place feels. Because no longer is it about us. No longer are we in competition one with the other. But we see Jesus. That we're in him, we're living for him, everything is given by him. So it strips us of our pride, it strips us of our works, and it's all in him. We are united to Jesus Christ. So this morning, perhaps we gather in church, and we're not really sure of ourselves anymore in our faith. 
we've come along here this morning, we're questioning our faith. We're not quite sure what it means to be a Christian anymore. We, we, we started out the year so well, only a few weeks back, and we thought everything was going to change. I'd be different. I would do things differently. And actually, we're only 19 days into the year, and we, we find ourselves going back to our old ways. And we're questioning in ourselves. Believers here this morning, I want you to know that if you trust in Jesus, if you're trusting in Jesus, you are united to him. And that changes you. It changes you. So Paul speaks this to the church. He's trying to help them to understand that they're not to base their, base their salvation on themselves, but on Jesus Christ, that they've been called into Christ. Look at verse 9 with me. God is faithful and who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What a beautiful verse. That God is faithful to us. He has called us into what? Into fellowship with his Son. We get to sit at the table with Jesus. And we have no right to sit at this table. To sit at this table and to eat with him and to talk with him, to, to converse with him, to watch him as he smiles at us, as he welcomes us in. And we have zero right to be at that table. Why? Because of our sin. Because of who we are. We are unworthy people. But as we know our unworthiness, as we realize our unworthiness, verse 9, God is faithful. He has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let the gospel change you, Paul is saying. So we're in Christ, but we have been called by the Father. We have been called by the Father. And we can see this. It's all over this passage again. We can see it in verse 9. We can see it in verse 8. We can see it in verse 1. And we can see it in verse 2. What is it like? What does it mean to be called by the Father? What does, it, what does this mean for us? Well, if we've been called by the Father, it means that we don't listen to other voices. If we've been called by the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who spoke this whole world into being, then we don't listen to other voices in this world. His, vo his voice is the loudest. It is the clearest. It is the one that we follow. Imagine it like this. We're playing a game of football. So every Friday night growing up, I was at Finney Cash Youth Club, and you played a game of football, and you went to uh, the outside pitch, the car park, and we called it a pitch, you went to it, and you stood against the hedge. Right? That was just what happened. Stand against the hedge, and the two best footballers would get to pick the team. So they would stand on either side of whoever was going to ref for the leader. And then one by one, someone would be picked, right? And you'd be picked. And as the teams would start to form up, you're thinking to yourself, I really don't want to be on his team. Look at that. I don't, I don't even like him. I don't want to be on his team. And because I was larger whenever I was younger, I usually had the joy of being picked near the end, right? And so I had time for these th thoughts to form. And you would play a game of football and you couldn't really be bothered. I don't want to play for them. I don't want to play for him. He's the captain. Don't really like him. Don't want to play for him. Now, imagine this. Imagine if you transport that situation, and instead of someone play, picking us from the hedge, imagine one evening that Jurgen Klopp or Alex Ferguson came to Vinny Cash Youth Club, and they stood on the tarmac between the leader, and they picked you. Now, that would change things, wouldn't it? It's Alex Ferguson, or it's Jurgen Klopp, 
If you don't know who these people are, Manchester United manager, one of the best managers ever to exist, Alex Ferguson, no longer there. Jurgen Klopp, going to lead Liverpool, I assume, to a Premier League title. Okay. Two great managers. And if you wanted to play, you would play football for them because they had called you. They had picked you. You would want to do your best for them, whether you're in defense or midfield or up front or in nets. You would want to perform for them. Do your best for them. Now, don't worry about football or football managers. Think about our whole lives and who has called you this morning. It's not a preacher. It is God who has called you into faith. It is him who has had his hand on your life, who has called you to be part of his people, to be part of his family, to live differently in this place. And surely we want to live our lives for him. Surely as a church, we want to live our lives saturated in gospel culture, working out what gospel culture means for us here in this place. What it means whenever Nigel's talking about it and the committee are thinking about it. What does it mean for us to give to God's work? What does it mean for us to give of our time to God's work? What does it mean to be part of the prayer meetings in this place? What does it mean to cook a casserole for someone and bring it around to someone? What does it mean on a, on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening to, to, to say, how are you and, and how have you been keeping and can I pray with you? Or here's a verse that I found this week that might be really helpful. Can I just sit with you? Can I be with you? Is there something I can do for you? Can I be present? Let's push each other further into our love for Jesus Christ. That's what gospel culture looks like. And Paul's heart breaks here because in 1 Corinthians, people are following men. Some follow Apollos. Some follow Cephas. Some even say they're following Christ. And what does Paul say? Look, Paul says in verses 13 and through, look, I don't care. I don't care what you're saying about who you're following. It's nonsense. Look at verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. It's all about the gospel. Not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. If one man comes and he's got a nice haircut and he's got nice words and a nice philosophy and he's, he's, he's wooing to you, why would you follow him instead of Christ? Why would, you follow, why would you follow a man instead of the one who died for you, the Lord Jesus? Don't do it, Paul says. He says, see who you are. Look at verse 5. For in him you have been enriched in every way. Jesus has given you so much, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Verse 7, therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift. Verse 8, he will, look at the promise, he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, look at all of these benefits. Look at who you are. Look at your identity. And remember that. Don't follow men. Don't follow a preacher. Don't follow someone who's got nice words. Follow Christ. And then work out what that means for you in your life. Our time's gone. Our final point, call to be holy. We've got to work this out. It's all over this passage. Verse 2, you're sanctified in Christ. Because whenever you're united to him, you will be sanctified. That means you will be made holy. We see it here. You're called to be a holy people together with those everywhere. 
We see it in verse 5 again. You've been enriched, that your, your speech here changes, your knowledge changes. Verse 7, that you're not lacking in any spiritual gifts, so you're being changed, you're being made holy. In verse 10, what does Paul say? He doesn't tell the people off, but he appeals to them. He appeals, this is the gospel. I've presented it to you. Please live in light of it. He's not coming and saying, here's the gospel. You better live in light of it with a big stick. But he's saying, here's the gospel. Here's the beauty of it. Here's Jesus. Here's the Father who has called you to give you life. Please, please live in light of this. Let it permeate through you. Let it change your culture. So as we close, I hope that today, we've only scratched the surface of this, I know, but today that we start to see what what does actually gospel DNA look like? If we call ourselves a church family here in this place, what does it mean? What does it mean for us to have an identity and and a DNA of Jesus, of the gospel? What parts of our culture this morning in this place, in this meeting house, in Hill Street, do we, need to, do we need to challenge and to think about? What parts of our culture this morning do we have to repent of and say, Father, we're sorry. That hasn't been good. What parts of our culture can we see Jesus in this morning? I don't know about you. I, I have obviously come along to Hill Street, and I have been welcomed in, and I call this place my church family. And I love to come here and to worship Jesus on a Sunday. To have this opportunity to do it as a family and to do it with genuine hearts. But how can we do it better? How can we live in light of this? So know this. You are united to Christ. You are called by the Father. And our challenge this morning is to be holy. To live our lives through the gospel, in the gospel, truly soaked by the gospel. So that changes this place. It changes us. It pushes us further into our relationship with Jesus. And then as others see us, they get to come and they get to be part of it too. Let us pray. Father in heaven, We thank you so much for your word to us this morning. Lord, there's so much in it for us to digest. There's so much that we need to think about this battle that we're in between flesh and the world and the spirit. Father, we we need to consider what our culture is in this place. Do we live in light of all that you've told us this morning in, in these verses? Father, is there division amongst us. Help us to strive for harmony. Father, do we have our eyes upon men this morning? We pray that you would forgive us and lift our eyes onto your Son, the Lord Jesus, because it is in Him that we have the power of salvation, and in Him alone. Father, help us to work these things through in our hearts that you would help us to do it this afternoon by the power of your Spirit, that we would reflect on your Word. Father, change us. Mold us here as a family into the people that you would have us to be. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.